Foodie Films is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Hey there, foodies, and welcome back to another episode of Foodie Films. Of course, this is your host, your chef de cinema cuisine, Kyle Reinfried. What's going on? What's happening? How are you? Man, how how are you? Because just, you know, I'm back to releasing these episodes weekly, and look at that. In just a week since the last episode, how much has changed and you know and and things were changing in the world before it really hit us here in the United States and even more in Washington state before you know here here I am in uh, in Jersey City and right next to New York City but uh we are in a time of quarantining and social distancing and I was having a a heart you know I'm, I'm uh, doing air quotes right now, a hard time coping with that idea um, when the mayor of Jersey City set, set out a curfew last Wednesday. I made it a point to go out Thursday and Friday night until, you know, the bars closed at 10 and kind of hung out in the streets and talked with people and and people are angry and and you know and rightfully so especially those that work in the service industry all these all these great people that I've met just from normal uh socializing or this podcast and their and their concern for their their livelihood and uh you know just from the amount of people I follow on social media and seeing them posting and just our our government has not given them any kind of clue to uh how they might assist them financially cuz this is just something that's going to clearly affect us for many years to come and i i would um i would hope that sooner than later some peace of mind could come to these uh people that are struggling and are scared because it's, it's a lot. I mean, you know, work is slow for me as a freelance videographer and, uh, you know, the, the deli I sometimes work at, um, that's going to be, I'm sure pretty, pretty damn quiet, but you know, people will, I think we need to just come together and we need to talk. We need to learn 
I'm reaching out to all these eateries, these restaurants, these chefs I've come to know, and hopefully maybe we might collaborate on some stuff because I, I just know we all want to be creative still. You know, it is about obviously making money. It's about making a livelihood, but it is this creative force that also always drew me to the restaurant world and, and cooking and everything like that. I think there's a lot of similarities to what I do in production. And so I just, um, I just really hope the best for everybody out there. And, um, I hope that you can, I don't know, just find some joy, some, maybe some ease, some entertainment possibly by listening to this podcast. Cause you know, I talk to people and uh, I've gotten some really nice compliments and uh, I did a live event re- uh, recently. All right, I said that on the last episode. Yeah, I did the live event in uh, Yonkers and people I was I was I was really I was flattered. I'll put the, I'll say that and people really enjoyed the Q&A that I was doing with John the owner and so hopefully when all this is over this coronavirus the C19 and God damn that fucking asshole in the White House for saying Chinese virus. Racism is not, it's never tolerated, but just seeing, I, I, I read a story that Angie Marr, you know, the uh, you know, owner and chef of the Beatrice Inn post about how this guy in England told her to go the fuck back to China. She's a, she's an American. She's a New Yorker. And it doesn't even matter even if she was from China. Go back there. Who are you guys? Uh, It's absolutely heartbreaking to just, there's enough hate out there already. And I, I, you know, and there's a lot of fear mongering going on right now, but we do, we do need to be smart and we do need to right now not be, you know, physically side by side, but we do need to be side by side in, uh, in spirit. And again, through, I think just communication and all, all of that, because uh, we just need to sit down and have a fucking meal together someday again. So I'm sorry. I'm getting, (laughs) I'm getting a little angry and a little emotional right now, but we have a good one. And, you know, I feel like this is a feel-good episode because it's about a really great organization, the Billion Oyster Project. And I have uh, Madeline Watchtel. I hope I'm really – Madeline, I'm, I hope I didn't, get you, I didn't get you saying your name on the episode, so I, I hope I uh, am saying your last name correctly, W-A-C-H-T-E-L. And she is the deputy director for Billion Oyster Project. And, well, if you don't know about Billion Oyster Project, you're going to learn about it right now. And uh, just when, you know, listening to this and doing the little editing I do, what a simpler world we were living in in the beginning of January, beginning of 2020. I mean, we do mention the, the uh, travesty of the Australian fires, but how that was the big thing at the time and I mentioned how I was I was pretty optimistic in trying some intermittent fasting. I think I'm going to try that again. Maybe I can control it by being home more, I don't know. But uh simpler times. But here we go, me talking with Madeline Watchtel of Billion Oyster Project. Enjoy. Uh 
Uh, I'm starting off the new year, the new decade, right? I'm talking to a lot of cool people. I'm really excited to learn about Billion Oyster Project. Uh, I'm in the mood, you know. I took we. This is I'm on Governor's Island right now. I took two. I took a ferry from Hoboken and a ferry yes. from uh, you know downtown and. I'm in the mood to, you know, talk oysters and seafood and all that good stuff. Yeah, the ferry definitely gets you in the mood to talk about the harbor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, let's just kind of, before we jump into Billion Oyster Project, like, what's your history with food? Like, obviously, everyone loves food. I mean, everyone just, you know, you eat food. It's It's for sustenance. But, like, did you have an aha moment in your life that, you know, some some dish that just the lights went off or lights went on, I guess would be the... <laughs> yeah. Um, it's probably a combination of dishes and then uh, working in the hospitality industry. Okay. So, um, you know, I grew up cooking with my grandma, always, um, you know, my family really got together around food. Yeah. Essentially, that's what food means to me. It's just like community and gathering. Um, but so I really became obsessed with food at a pretty young age. Um, and then in my teen years, um, I worked in some restaurants, helped, um, a chef named Ed Brown, uh, open up one of his, um, his restaurant called 81 on the Upper West Side. Okay. Um, I was sort of just his assist, his assistant. <laughs> um, and that led me to wanting to go to, uh, Cornell's, um, School of Hotel Administration. So I studied hospitality undergrad, okay. really followed that train of wanting to work in yeah. uh, the food world. Um, and then worked in restaurants in um, Australia when I graduated. Oh, wow. Uh, and then when I moved back, started working at Billion Oyster Project. And it's, uh, it's really our uh, work with restaurants that first got me involved. Cool. Uh, what were you cooking with your grandma? Meatballs and salad and pasta pretty much every, uh, every day of the summer I would mm. spend with her. And it was that was probably something I ate about five days a week. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe not the meatballs, but salad and pasta was like a pretty <laughs> consistent meal. And honestly, to this day, I eat that meal probably yeah. four times a week for dinner. You know, I mean, everyone loves meatballs. I re- recently had on uh, Michael Chernow of, uh, the meat, you know, the co-founder of Meatball Shop and... That was I, I was talking to him, and I mean, I've had a couple of people, Kristen Tomlin of Doe. Like, there's just certain foods out there that are simple, that but they found a way to kind of perfect it and make it, you know, even simpler in some kind of ways, or just make it that much more accessible to people. So, ultimate comfort food. Exactly, too. it is. It is the ultimate comfort. Um, so you go to Cornell and you're studying hospitality. Like, what? I mean, what? What are you learning when you're studying hospitality? Yeah, so um, it's a bit of everything. Um, It's really sort of a business degree Mm -hmm. at the hotel school. Um, You know, your first few years, you're taking a lot of accounting classes, law classes. um, All the exciting stuff. And then mixed in there is, um, you know, introduction to hotel management, introduction to restaurant operations. Uh, You do take a course in their culinary lab. Um, You learn communications, actually. So professional communications in the workplace, uh, which is to some degree an HR course. Um, And then you get to specialize in your 
you know, last couple of years um, doing food and wine pairing. Oh, um, then we get to the fun yeah, stuff. Yeah, advanced wine, advanced, uh, you know, beer courses, <laughs> how to stock a restaurant's bar. I mean, everything. Were like you that. into wine by that point? Because wine was something I always used to say it's an acquired taste, which I have not acquired yet. I have now acquired it, but I know very little. <laughs> yeah, um, I was, okay. and at Cornell at least, in the Finger Lakes, like wine is a pretty oh, you know, yeah, there you go. deal, yeah. and Cornell has very famous wine courses, so I definitely was. I would actually say I was more into wine then. Oh. I'm still into wine, and I really enjoy it, um, but I've actually, now when I go out and I do drink, I, I tend to drink a lot of um, beer. And, I mean, um, nothing... So a pint and some oysters. Whiskey. I mean, you really yeah. can't go wrong with that. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, my, I guess, as far as wine goes, I mean, my parents were always having, you know, a glass with dinner or whatever, but I think my dad always had the big, was that big jug, the Carlo Rossi or whatever that, whatever that really of cheap wine. big yeah. jug of wine was. Franzia? Uh, was that, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, they, but, well, that was, that was college for sure. Those, I mean, yeah. they used to have, you know, the Tour de Franzia. Right. That was a, a way to enjoy in college. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, did you grow up in New York? I did. Yeah, I grew what? up on the West Side. West Side. Manhattan. Yeah. What was, what was that like? Uh, I loved it. Um, you know, you're pretty much, or at least I was free to walk around on my own mm-hmm. by you know early, pretty early teens. Um, and I really enjoyed that and going to Central Park. Yeah. Uh, Riverside Park. It's uh, I thought it was pretty ideal, and there's like so much culture. And I mean, talk about food. You're just yeah. exposed to so many different cuisines and different styles of eating and uh i loved it yeah yeah i mean is there any specific i mean you know like there's not a specific like food neighborhood in like the upper west side right you know like obviously like downtown you got little italy you got chinatown that kind of stuff but yeah so i grew up in the 80s um so you know zabar's is pretty big Uh, um in my life my family you know helps run zabar's so um that was always a special place. Ollie's, on, it's no longer there, uh-huh. but that was our local Chinese restaurant. <laughs> I have very good memories there. So, yeah. And, I mean, it's changed a lot, though. Uh, we now are, we have work with a bunch of restaurants on the Upper West Side for our Shell Collection program. Um, Mermaid Inn was there when I was a kid, and it's still there. They're one of our uh, largest uh, shell output restaurants. Yeah. So it's always fun going back there now as an adult. I've been, I've been there. That's a great spot. Yeah. Um, and I also, I read you have a master's degree in food studies from NYU. I'm still oh, in my, still? Ma- I'm actually okay. a master's dropout, funky. Huh. Right. Uh, well, I'm, I'm technically on a hiatus <laughs> when I first, uh, <laughs> when I, uh, first moved back to, um, New York, I was looking to get my master's. I didn't really know what I was going to be doing for my transition from Sydney back to New York City. Um, and so I applied for my master's. I did it for a couple of years. Uh, really loved it. Um, and then really things got so busy at Billy and Oyster Project yeah. for me that uh, decided that I'd go back to my master's when I could devote more okay. uh, time and energy. <laughs> but I loved it. it was, I mean, it was great. So you were living in Sydney when you were in Australia? Yes. What was that yeah. like? I recently, uh, the Dan Churchill of uh, Charlie Street, I had on. Great chef, great guy. Uh, awesome. He's from Sydney as well, and uh, yeah, you know, I mean, well, obviously, horrible things happening in Australia right now with all the fires. Yeah, devastating. But um, what was what was your impression going there when when you 
when you went there, was that your first time visiting or had you been there before? So um, I studied abroad there my junior okay. year of college, uh, met my now husband, uh, which is what then propelled me to move there oh, okay. after graduating. That's the one thing I regret. I never studied abroad. I was just like stupid and like, oh, I'm going to miss my friends. I'm going to miss, you know, this. You know, yeah. Should have studied abroad. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I had a, I had a pretty good experience. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I loved it. Um, it took a little while to get used to it, but, you know, once I found locals and got into the swing of things, I really uh, enjoyed my time in Sydney, um, studying abroad. And then when I moved back, um, it was really great. Um, I really enjoyed being in a totally different place for those, you know, formative years right yeah. after college. It felt like a big adventure where I could really just do whatever I wanted. Um, and what sort of worked out, I would say, in my favor looking back is that um, the visa you get to go to Australia, like a work and holiday visa, mm -hmm. I think it's probably still called the same thing now, um, You, unless you're sponsored by your job, you're sort of forced to um, switch jobs after six months. You can okay. only have one employer. If you, if you know your work and holiday visa is a year, yeah. you have to switch jobs ah, after six months. That's interesting. Yeah, I think it's so that they... I don't really know, so that they can keep more full-time employment positions okay. for, for locals. For citizens, yeah. yeah. <laughs> for citizens. <laughs> um, so um, I was really uh, fortunate to get a great position um, assistant managing a restaurant in Sydney uh, pretty early on called Sokyo, uh, which is an incredible Japanese restaurant. Um, and it was... Um, it was really special. I mean, it's just like people from all over the world were working there, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, tends maybe to happen at, at restaurants. But um, but I have to imagine Australia. I mean, any, you know, I've been to mostly Europe as far as abroad. And then, as I said to you before we started recording, I've been to Thailand, Shanghai, pretty much for like two days, just as like a layover. Um, but there, Australians are everywhere. Just, yeah. <laughs> because when you when you leave there, when you're traveling, it's just, you know, I think it's just so expensive. Right. They want to see as much as possible. And also they have pretty good system in play, you know, as far as taking a gap year and when they're, you know, on holiday and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah. Yeah. And, and in the same way, like uh, it attracts a lot of different nationalities, sure. I think. And they have pretty good uh, visa opportunities or at least they did however eight years ago, or how mm -hmm. long ago it was when I was there. Um, so, you know, it was a great first, very intense work experience. Yeah. Uh, and I did that for about six months, really loved it. But then, um, you know, it was time to find another position. And um, I got to be honest, I was a little burnt out. <laughs> uh, it was, you know, working in a restaurant, it's really, really hard work. Yeah, you know, it's crazy day, hours. It's probably yeah. one of the hardest jobs I've ever had. Um and so then after that, I got exposed to another sort of part of the food scene there. And I was doing marketing for these huge uh, restaurant festivals. Oh, cool. Um, and that was really fun. It essentially gathered a lot of the top restaurants from different cities. You know, we did it in Sydney, Melbourne, and Perth. Um, and now maybe they've even expanded. But I got to know that side of it, too, and to know a bunch of different um, chefs. Awesome. Uh, that way. What were you, I mean, what, what, what was the food scene like there? What were you eating when you were there? Is there any 
cliches that come along with it. I definitely touched upon those in a joking matter with Dan Churchill. I was just like, oh, so let's talk Foster's Australia, you know, Outback Steakhouse and all that stuff. But yeah, uh, I was just asked yesterday if I had had all the Australian meats like uh emu and kangaroo. Um, So, you know, there are those sort of more cliche at least in like in sydney you know maybe if you go to other areas in the bush like that kangaroo is a more widely eaten yeah yeah Yeah. um but so yeah so i've tried kangaroo um but in terms of the food scene there it's pretty eclectic um it's similar to new york city in that you can get a lot of different cuisines Mm -hmm. i would say their vietnamese food is incredible there but better than new york city Ooh, right. uh, not that I've explored all that much, but there it's like anywhere you go is just incredible Vietnamese food. Yeah. Um, and it's just, you know, the prod, the produce is really, really fresh. Um, and, you know, I guess because of the climate in Sydney, it was um, easier to get more fresh yeah, local pro- yeah. produce. Yeah. No, there's, there's a good, uh, as far as the, as the States go, um, Supposedly, Houston has an, an amazing Vietnamese food scene. Oh. I, I've been to places in New Orleans, but uh, I haven't been to Houston yet. But, like, uh, people, if you're any foodies that are listening right now, they've heard me talk about it before. But uh, I learned about it via David Chang's show, Ugly Delicious. But the uh, they're doing Viet Cajun, they're calling it, which is just a cool. you know combination. It's pretty much like... There's always been a very specific way to eat crawfish, doing classic crawfish boil, and with the Vietnamese population that started coming over uh, post-Vietnam, they came over and they're really kind of changing things up or just making a new kind of, you know, fusion, which sounds pretty pretty exciting that's always it's always the best thing when you you know everyone's like oh what's like the next food and it's just like well let's just all kind of come together and see what we can create via different cultures yeah i'd like to try that uh so you came back and you got the job with billion oyster project yeah so for anyone that doesn't know um i learned about the company probably like a little over a year ago but why don't you go ahead and just explain what you guys do here what we do sure yeah um so billion oyster project we're a nonprofit. um as we mentioned earlier we're based on governor's island off the uh southern tip of uh manhattan or you know next to brooklyn however yeah. you look at it <laughs> uh, <laughs> um and so our mission is to restore oyster reefs to new york harbor through public education initiatives okay so um it's important to note especially on uh you know a foodie podcast that our oysters are not for consumption yes so we uh restore oysters for their environmental benefit so oysters have um you know they're ecosystem engineers they have incredible um functions that support the ecosystem um which they live in um so that's why we restore oysters and i can get more into the you know, functions a bit later. But then, uh, you know, we were born out of the Urban Assembly New York Harbor School, uh, which is also on Governor's Island. Um, The founder um, of Billion Oyster Project, uh, his name is Pete Malinowski, he was actually teaching aquaculture at the New York Harbor School, which is a career and technical education uh, school. And um, they learn marine and maritime um, skills within their... um, typical studies curriculum yeah yeah um so considering that we were born out of the new york harbor school education is um you know 
paramount to what we do. Mm -hmm. uh, we are not a group of scientists by ourselves just putting oysters into New York Harbor. We choose to do our work uh, with a focus on growing the next generation of environmental stewards and teaching them the skills they need to, you know, work and play on the water yeah. and, you know, understand and want to steward their local marine ecosystem. Mm -hmm. um, and so... Through that, we also create STEM curriculum uh, through the lens of oyster restoration for um, middle schools in New York City and uh, beyond. That's great. And I mean, this is all done as a nonprofit. That's pretty, that's not pretty, that's really impressive. Uh, so how, how long have you been with Billion Oyster Project now? So I've been with Billion Oyster Project for about four and a half years. Okay. Yeah. And you're the... Deputy, the deputy director. director. So what yeah. what exactly what are you doing as deputy director? Um, it's a good question. Uh, it's <laughs> <laughs> I find it hard to explain. It's a somewhat a new role. I've yeah. been in it for about a year now. Um, I look at the role as supporting everyone else and doing their jobs. Okay. Uh, making sure that the whales stay on. Yeah. I do a lot of fundraising. Um, and because of my background in hospitality, um, I do a lot of our events. Um, so I started at Billion Oyster Project managing the shell collection program, uh, which is how we work with restaurants mm -hmm. in uh, New York City to collect oyster shells that we then reuse as reef substrate. Um, and I started doing our events. Um, and then through there, my role has blossomed into the, into the deputy director role. So still have some of those functions. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, just make sure we can all keep moving forward really. I, mean, I mean it's an important position in, in uh you know i work in the in video production in our world that would be like an associate director who's just you know it's a, with them it's about time management and just making sure lighting department you know grip department everyone is working you know camera department sound department is all coming together because as they say t i mean it, you know especially with us like time is money and all that kind of stuff so uh before coming to Billion Oyster Project, I mean, what did you know of oysters? Did you know their did you, natural, you know, purpose and everything like no, that? No, I knew very little. And, uh, you know, while, um, while I grew up in New York City, I mm -hmm. had no idea about the oysters. Yeah. Uh, incredibly rich history uh, I mean, the in city New York used Harbor. to be called, like, the big the, oyster, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So now it's the big apple, but... Right. We had the pretty much the largest oyster population in the world at one point. That's crazy. New York Harbor. That's yeah. That's absolutely it's crazy. Insane. I mean, yeah, like, I mean, you've even got, like, downtown, you got Pearl Street, and that's exactly. because they used to, you know, like, now now we've got carts with, you know, like, nuts for nuts and street meat, but back <laughs> yeah. in the day, it was, did you, watch, did you watch Game of Thrones at all? I did, yeah. You know, like, Arya, like, oysters, clams, and cuckles. Oh, right, it's just yeah. like, I just imagine <laughs> yeah. that was the streets of New York back in the day. Yeah, it was, absolutely. I, that's... That just always, you know, blows my mind. You know, like I've, I've definitely, I've read a few just articles and brief history on New York's oyster scene, and you had going back to like the Indian, the Native American population, the Lenape is like that's what they were just picking them out of the water and just mm -hmm. eating them. And the Dutch came here, and then I mean, I mean that's even why there's Governor's Island was founded by the by the yeah. Dutch, and then I think it's called Governor's Island because of a British governor or something like that. I believe so. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's so. just it's just crazy as far as that there was this huge oyster population, and then it just pretty much disappeared because of pollution, right? And over-harvesting. Yeah, over -harvesting, it was as, it was yeah. as late as, uh, you know, I think 1920 that the last commercial oyster bed in New York Harbor was closed. So oh, wow. when okay. you think of it, it's not 
I mean, it's 100 years ago. Yeah. Right? So not that long ago. And it was really, yeah, pollution combined with over-harvesting, combined with dredging that really just killed off this natural mm-hmm. population. Um, and, you know, to go back to what we were saying before in terms of the oyster's natural function and then being ecosystem engineers, oyster reefs provide incredible habitat for lots of different species. So we've really, just in 100 years, taken away an incredible amount of nat- what was natural yeah. habitat. And, you know, maybe more than 100 years uh, because it, it started long before then. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, that's really maybe when things started to be uh, hard to reverse. So that really is our aim. I mean, have you guys seen any change even so far? I mean, you, I, I, just as far as I had a uh, buddy that used to work on the for the Palisades Interstate Parkway, and he used to clean up the parks on the you know, on the Jersey side. And he was like, "Oh, we're starting to see harbor seals again." I mean, mm-hmm. you hear about that. You see whales, whales like yeah. right by the Verrazano and all that. I mean, that's got to be pretty exciting. That I feel like, you know, the the river is definitely getting cleaner. Yeah. So I mean, we're all seeing that kind of change, right? Like yeah. the seals and the. Um, the whales, I, you know, I think early on when I started at Billion Oyster Project, I got to go out on a boat early in the morning and see seals. And I was like, oh my God, this is yeah. incredible. Yeah. And I didn't really even know that they were there. Um, so we're all starting to see that change. But then by our reef sites, we are seeing um, great biodiversity mm-hmm. and uh, lots of different species hanging out around our oysters which is great um you know the way that we grow our oysters in particular is um in clumps so we're not growing oysters on the half shell that you'd see in a restaurant (laughs) but because of that they have all these nooks and crannies that make really great hiding places and places for um you know fish and invertebrates to live um and we're seeing that and that's actually part of what the students also explore and learn about um Mm -hmm in the curriculum we create. Uh, so we're seeing that, and uh, we also see um, much greater uh, visibility, so to speak, uh, or the water is much clearer when where we have our oysters. Uh, the oysters have this incredible filtering function mm-hmm. where they can filter, you know, anywhere from like 30, 50 gallons of water in a day, That's just cra- one oyster. That's crazy. It's pretty yeah. impressive. Um, so, you know, we have student divers at the Harbor School Student divers? Um, wow. Student divers, yeah, in high school. And uh, part of their studies is to uh, do diving expeditions to support the Billion Oyster Project. Mm-hmm. Um, and where we have oysters in the water, they can see much um, further. Wow, okay. Because uh, usually if you go diving in New York Harbor, you put your hand in front of your face and you can barely see it, <laughs> you know, in certain, in certain areas. Yeah, yeah, sure. Visibility is so low. So, um, yeah, we definitely see uh, cleaner water. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, uh, I not not in a while, but you always see. I feel like when they're getting rid of old subway cars, aren't they kind of put putting them out there to create? Reads yeah, I don't know all that much about yeah. the subway. Uh, okay. everyone, <laughs> everyone asks about that's, that. Yeah, it's commonly <laughs> asked. I think it has happened. We haven't done any subway okay. car projects. Yeah. Uh, we've we uh, did do um, a project in Jamaica Bay. We have a reef there uh, that made use of toilets. Oh. Uh, like low um, low efficiency toilets that the mm-hmm. Department of Education had replaced with higher efficiency toilets. Okay. So they had all these porcelain toilet porcelain toilets that they needed to uh, make good use of. So we did a reef using that substrate. So how many reefs and like what goes into 
choosing where a reef should be. Yeah, so we've got about 13 reef sites now, um, and they're all um, a bit different. Some mm -hmm. are nurseries, some are large-scale um, reefs with, you know, hundreds of thousands of oysters. Some mm -hmm. have two to 10,000 oysters. Um, and it just really, so far, it's depended on, um, you know, funding availability, site availability, um, Oysters are seen as what's called an attractive nuisance okay. um, by That's some what... agencies, which essentially just means that um, there is concern that if we restore oysters in a place that's really readily um, accessible to poaching, that people might do so and then um, be harmed by consumption. Okay. Um, attractive nuisance. That's what I used to have on my dating profile. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so because of that um, issue, it can be somewhat challenging to find certain sites to work in. Um, so that's been a factor in choosing where the site is. Um, that said, we really do aim to work with communities. Um, it's our goal to get more people living in New York City at the water's edge mm -hmm. and learning about their harbor. Um, so when and where we can, we do try to find sites that have a that has a community in it that both like wants oyster reefs in their community and then also might want to even do some studies with us. Yeah, I mean, what what does it mean to you to be, I mean, you're a native New Yorker, you're working with this nonprofit now and it's you know, cleaning up the waters of, uh, you know, of the rivers of, you know, New York City. I mean, what, what does that just mean to be obviously part of this organization and, and the community? I feel really lucky. Um, and... It's really special. Um, you know, when I worked, I mentioned before, when I worked in Sydney, I was working at these like big restaurant festivals and mm. in a very fancy restaurant. And um, don't get me wrong, I had a really great time. It was really fun. <laughs> and I, you know, I like eating not fancy food, but I also like eating fancy food. So I'm not yeah. knocking it. But when I moved back to New York, I really was looking to find a way to join a community mm -hmm. and give back to my local community and my local environment. Um, so I feel really lucky to be working at Billion Oyster Project, and that's really what attracted me to it. Um, I think what what's so special about Billion Oyster Project is that it does work um, in an incredible variety of communities. Mm -hmm. So not just geographically, but in terms of industry, um, you know, when I first joined, I was working with restaurants, right, and trying to figure out how to make a community um, of restaurants yeah. all around recycling oyster shells, which is like pretty niche. Um, <laughs> but what's not niche about it is that all of these chefs and all the restaurants like really also wanted to find a way to take a food scrap mm. and make it into a habitat. And make it into something like really, per, you know, pretty permanent in their local ecosystem that was going to have um, a long-term effect. So, you know, the restaurant community was first attracted me, but now we work with all these other, um, you know, either like local groups and kids who want to learn about New York Harbor and yeah. teachers and um, policymakers and, you know, people in the maritime industry uh, who are working on the water and want more young New Yorkers to um, be taking those jobs. Mm -hmm. um, so it's exciting and, you know, I'm always learning new things, which is pretty lucky. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's a long answer. But <laughs> What's your experience with 
oysters been? Just, I mean, do you remember when you had your first oyster? I don't, honestly. <laughs> Which is, Did you have it like at a It's not that I had it at a young or, age. Okay. I wasn't a big oyster eater. Yeah. I didn't really enjoy them very much, uh-huh. um, actually, until I learned about their potential and why they were so special. Oh, wow, okay. Um, so I learned about Billy and Oyster Project probably a year before I started um, working here. Um, I... Um, I was still in Australia, and so I learned about Billy Norris Project, and I was so fascinated, and I was taking a road trip to the south of um, Australia, and I decided to reach out to this oyster farmer there, because I was like, oh my god, it's so cool. Yeah. I've never visited an oyster farm, I just want to see it, so I reached, I just emailed totally randomly this incredibly nice oyster farmer at, uh, McCash Oyster Farm, and he's like, yeah, just come along. Like, I'll pick you up at this dock. (laughs) Um, And I was like, okay, great. (laughs) So then, uh, you know, I'm on my road trip uh, with with my now husband, and uh, we just pull up to this dock, and this incredible guy, um, you know, yeah, he just takes us out to his um, oyster farm. He picks us up on a boat, and we go out. Yeah. And... Um, he just tells us all about what he does for no reason, right? Like he has nothing to gain from this situation. Sure, just, I'm just a really interested random person. Yeah. But you know, I mean, when people have such a, you know, like a, jo- a job like that, I feel like they'll take an opportunity to educate someone, especially just yeah. when it is something as niche, but important as oysters. Yeah. I've now learned that oyster farmers are some of the nicest salt of the earth people on earth um but so yeah so anyway it's a long story but um he take he pulls out a uh kumamoto oyster that he was growing Mm -hmm. um and i taste it right from you know the water on the boat as fresh as it can get (laughs) as fresh as it can get and that was probably my most memorable oyster eating experience and the first oyster that i like really consciously remember Mm -hmm. eating yeah, I can't. I can't say either. When I remember having my f- first oyster, it was definitely like I was in my twenties, and uh, as many a things, one of my uh, oldest and dearest friends, Brian Rodriguez, who's also the uh, he was my uh, partner for PS I Love Hoffman, and he's got his podcast High School Slumber Party. He was much more a worldly foodie than I am and just more like well-traveled and introduced me to a lot of things. And so I'm sure it was him that, you know, it was like we went out and maybe he was even having oysters. And he's like, ah, oh, try an oyster and made sure to be like, and chew it. Don't just like, you know, slurp it down or whatever. Cause sometimes it's just so easy to do that. especially given a, if it's a smaller oyster or mm-hmm. something like that. But um, yeah, I, I, I love them now. Obviously I, I can be, picky you know and i can be skeptical of when you see dollar oysters or something like that you know deals going on or especially what time of year it is uh but my my favorite place in the city i love upstate shane covey's place do you know i I do know that we we don't work with them so i tend to not eat not for any reason okay (laughs) Uh, (laughs) i think we've tried to get them to collect before but we Mm. haven't uh, had much success yet so we gotta got to get them on the program yeah. um i tend to try to eat oysters with our part where our partners uh collect 
the show. How, uh, how many partners, how many restaurants are you guys working with? We've got 75 partners Wow, 75? Yeah. So, like, yeah. how, what's the what's the day-to-day like? Like, what are you guys doing? I mean, is, is there a specific collection day or? Yeah, we collect five days a week. Five days a week. Yep. Wow. Um, so, the Lobster Place um, is our operator mm-hmm. on the ground. So, um they start their day in Hunts Point yeah. at about uh, probably about 5:30 in the morning, um, and then they go to about 20 restaurants a day, uh, collect the shells, you know, just jump into the restaurants, yeah. grab their buckets that we provide them. Uh, we dump into um, 20 cubic yard dumpsters on a daily basis uh, in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. And then we, and then they drive back to Hunts Point. And then about once a month, we bring a huge, uh, the dumpster to Governor's Island where we have a curing site. Okay. Um, and dump the shells so that they can cure for about a year, six months to a year. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's and, all... and then we can um, either put the oysters in it as blank shell mm-hmm. in uh, restructures or we seed them with um, larvae, baby oysters oh, wow. um, before reintroducing them to the harbor. Wow, I didn't realize that there was, you know. Like, it's quite a process. Yeah, it's quite a yeah. process. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yeah. Now, are you guys also, I mean, obviously you're collecting these shells, but are there also, there's those, but then there's living oysters that are, are you guys also, like, uh, growing those? Like, yeah, so, okay. yeah. So uh, we grow uh, oysters with uh, New York Harbor School students in their hatchery. Okay. Um, and... We, we're now at the age stage where we can actually take our own broodstock out of the harbor at our, our reef sites yeah. um, and spawn them. And so we're spawning them, of course, for our operations, but also as an educational um, tool. Um, and yeah, it's just right here on Governor's Island. We're growing our oysters. And then we um, put the larvae in tanks with the shell mm-hmm. and then oyst- not to get you know, two into the weeds, but, uh, oyster larvae, they swim around for a couple weeks. Um, they grow, um, something called a foot. Once they have a foot, it has a natural <laughs> glue and they need to attach themselves to a hard substrate. Okay. Um, and so they're looking for that calcium carbonate rich oyster shell mm-hmm. to use essentially as a flotation device. Uh, you know, they're not, um, it's not like a hermit crab where like one baby oyster is going to then like use that shell as their shell mm-hmm. they're yeah. more just growing on top of it do you think that there's good representation of like oysters out there as far as you know in like media media yeah 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 i would say um i'd say in the last five or so years it's gotten much more so you Definitely, know at least like yeah. when i was growing up i don't remember oysters being on every single menu no and now they <laughs> uh you know not that they're on every single menu but they're much much uh, Which is even more popular. More, and yeah, they're more popular, better represented. Yeah. <laughs> more th- farms. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think definitely social media and then just even, obviously, companies like BuzzFeed and things like that have just created more just... I don't know, noise for the, the for the oyster and yeah. you know, all that. And yeah. we try to do our part in that too. Uh, you know, we've tried to use our um, our partnerships with restaurants. Yeah, I've um, seen that there was to make like, some noise. What's that one? There's I think it's a restaurant on a sailboat that you guys uh, Grand do. Banks. Yeah, Grand yep, Yeah, and Pilot. Yeah. Um so yeah, we've done we do oyster socials which are sort of uh, nice and easy ways for people to come and have yeah. a half dozen oysters, have some beverage pairings. 
um, and learn about what we're doing. Uh, we also we have our billion oyster party every May. Oh, okay. um, and 50 oyster farms from across the country come. Wow. And chuck and serve their own oysters. So if you ever is that wanted. On Governor's Island? That's um, at Liberty Warehouse this year in Red okay. Hook, Brooklyn. Cool. Uh, yeah, so that's that's pretty fun. I got to check that yeah, out. Yeah, you got to check it that's out. Right up my alley. So we get a lot of people there. Yeah. Um, and we've also started this new uh, series last year called Back to the Future. Um, and we've got two coming up. Uh, we try and host them in restaurants that were around when you were actually able to eat oysters out of New York Harbor. Okay, So cool. we hosted That's, at Delmonico's yeah. and then at PJ Clark's Sidecar this year because they were both around in the 1800s. That's awesome. Um, and we get our uh, restaurant partners, a selection of them, to all cook a dish using a species that um, used to be readily harvested from New York Harbor. Mm-hmm. And then we talk all about why we can't do that anymore. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so yeah. We've, we've tried to, you know, make, uh, approachable events for people to come and of course, enjoy the dining experience, but also learn about what we do and why oysters are important and why it's important to, you know, yeah, for people restore that, the harbor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Enjoy, enjoy the oysters, but also get educated and, uh, and just appreciate them for what they are. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, most of my, you know, like, I mean, uh, obviously I go to restaurants in the city and stuff like that, but I love going out to the, uh, the North Fork of mm-hmm. Long Island and there's a place in, oh God, what town Greenport? is that? Yeah. Greenport. Little, yeah. Little, little Creek. Creek. Yeah. Little Creek. Yeah. They're it's great. The, that's the best. It is it's the just, best. You go there, you shuck your own oysters, which I am not a master no. shucker by any means. Neither am I. No. Yeah. You no. haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I can do it. And you know, I, when I first started BOP, I was going to a lot of oyster events and I was often there with, uh, one of the, um, you know, best shuckers from Grand Central oyster. Yeah. And I even had him trying to teach me how to shuck oysters mm-hmm. and I'm still like, <laughs> if I can't learn from him, exactly. I'm probably pretty hopeless, but I think it just takes a lot of repetition. It's, yeah. It's a lot of repetition and it's, it's not, it's not easy. You got to, no. it's like, a, it's got that, it's, a skill. it's got that sweet spot that you just gotta, you yeah. know, it's like shooting a three pointer. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, have you ever been to New Orleans? I have. I was there last year for New Year's, which is Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That is a good time. I'm going, uh, next week I'm recording with a couple. I was, I found like a hundred dollar round trip flight. Oh, amazing. And I'm just like, if I can get four episodes out of it, that justifies it. I'm going to obviously enjoy myself as well, but I always make sure to stop at Acme Oyster and get those char grilled oysters. Yeah. Those are like next level, you know. Yeah. I've, I've never had them, but I've, um, I've read all about them. Those are, those are good. But yeah. I mean, nothing, nothing like a, a, just a fresh oyster. And are, are you, when you, when you eat oysters, are you putting anything on it? Are we just squeezing lemon? Are we putting some sauce um, on it really depends i like to at least if i get you know a half dozen oysters i like to have at least a couple of them just nude yeah uh to try <laughs> is that the proper term i don't know oh, I okay think, i like it yeah yeah naked, naked. Nude. <laughs> without anything on it <laughs> um and then you know i do love a mignonette also yeah. so yeah i'll i'll typically enjoy a few like that as well yeah. um nothing too crazy <laughs> when i was in thailand i think i had like the biggest oysters of my life i posted like right away it was this guy and he was just amazing at 
chucking. I'm like, I need to take a picture of you. So I took a picture of the oysters, and I think it's on. Maybe I'll definitely have to repost it if it's not on my uh, Foodie Films Instagram versus like my personal one because I was before the podcast. And uh, but they're huge. It was yeah, just, it's just crazy to see how obviously they change from. I mean, there's even so many different types on the East Coast versus West Coast. Yeah, and that's always. Uh, do you got yeah. do, does that matter in the sense of you guys collecting? Great question. Um, Thank you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it's interesting. Well, I, th- I, I think it's interesting. Um, our so as I mentioned before, we cure them for a, you know up to a year, six months to a year, and um, in part that is because we get the. Uh, oyster shells from mm-hmm. oysters of different water bodies. Okay. So we don't want to introduce any bacteria, pathogen, anything that might be on the um, shell still. Okay. So that's why we leave the shells out to the elements. Gotcha. Um, so once so, that happens, then they can be... Yes. Okay. But so. so, but yeah, so that's a precaution we take because they're coming from different water bodies. Yeah. Um, but I was going to mention before, when I was in Japan, I uh-huh. also had a humongous... Oyster. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was a it was an experience. Yeah, it's one of the, that. That's to the point. It's just like, oh, I really, I do have to chew this, you know, because yeah. other oysters you can just kind of like slurp down. But yeah. uh, do you think there's? I mean, as far as we won't, we'll get into it in any crazy sense, but as far as the uh, connotations that come with oysters, from I mean, get from aphrodisiac to getting sick. Like, what do you? What just? What is your experience? Been that. Oh, that, yeah, that, no, I've that never. No, that's okay. <laughs> I didn't mean it that way. No. I just meant as far as like preconceived notions. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I, well, I've personally never been sick from an oyster. Knock on wood. Yeah. And I think that if they are properly handled and taken care mm-hmm. of, um, and you know, also that goes that comes to having a proper shucker as well. Yeah. You know, if you have a good shucker, they're going to make sure that they're not serving you anything that is questionable. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, yeah, it's possible to get sick from an oyster, just like, just like any most food, things. Really. Yeah. And yeah, you are eating it raw. So, you know, yeah, but, um, but again, if they're properly handled, I think, you know, 99% of the time you're, you're just fine. And in terms of it being an aphrodisiac, um, I mean, know, that's predominantly no, the studies you guys are doing here. Yeah, right? that's, that's, right. just, that's, that's, that's what we the do main, here. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have fantasies actually of doing an oyster speed dating, uh, <laughs> event. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's never going to happen, but it's something I <laughs> joke, you know, joke around I about. I feel like that would be, like, a fun little, like, a video, you know, just yeah, like, yeah. Maybe a little off mission, but, you know, bringing people together around yeah, oysters is important. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'd watch that. So, yeah. <laughs> like, if there was, like, a little documentary. <laughs> yeah, if there was yeah. a camera in the corner watching. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I guess they're an aphrodisiac in the sense that they're, like, a really interesting food and, mm-hmm. you know, for all the obvious reasons. Um, but... Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> are, fun. Are, are you into all seafood? Is there some that you that you don't, won't eat? Or so um, I will try pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I appreciate sustainable seafood, so I really do try to um, limit my consumption to that. Um, if there is such a thing as sustainable seafood to begin with, um, I. As I mentioned, I was recently in Japan, um, and I really expanded yeah. the types and varieties of seafood I've um, I've eaten. So I did have the chance to try uh, shirako, uh, oh, which is the... I believe it's cod sperm. Oh, um, is that for the first time? Did you say that's the weirdest thing you've ever? 
consumer, or, you know, it's most probably obscure. the most, yeah. well, there it's a, it's a delicacy and oh, okay. I actually don't even think it's that obscure. It was, you know, at a bunch of different restaurants that oh. I went to. So, um, I think especially around this time, it's maybe at its best or seasonal. Um, so that was something that I tried that I probably won't be eating again. <laughs> it's not okay. The, when I was in Spain, I tried bull's balls. And, yeah. Uh, it's just not for me. It was a subtle taste. I wasn't agree to other consistency. So, uh, yeah. I mean, that's definitely got to be, I mean, going specifically back to oysters. It's just the texture, mm-hmm. I think, ultimately. Yeah. I mean, it's if you're also like not snot. a fan of necessarily the, you know, like maybe like, you know, salt water or, I mean, it's not always all, you know, salt water, but just, I, mm-hmm. just if you're not a fan of that smell, but I think if anything, it's mostly the texture, right? I would have yeah. To, people say like, yeah. oh, it's like snot or yeah, sugar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, Japan, anything, I, I haven't been, but uh, anything I ever see like food wise, I mean, they have that huge Mark, I mean, I'm sure there's multiple markets, but that re- isn't there that one really huge seafood market? There? Yeah, in Tokyo. Yeah. Um, and now it's actually expanded into two different markets. Oh, okay. um, there is the old market, um, which is now, I would say, more for the public. And they've um, moved the tuna auction into a wholesale um, market. So now the only people on the trading floor are the buyers. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, and they allow the public into sort of a, a viewing area above it all, but they let the buyers do their buying in, in peace, I guess. That's got to be a pretty tourism. crazy experience. Just, I mean, just, you know, seeing, I, I, uh, I remember being young and going to the Fulton Street fish market mm-hmm. and just seeing that. I mean, that's all, like you said, up in, uh, in Hunts Point, Hunts Point yeah. now, but, uh, yeah. yeah, it was a crazy experience. Um, you know, they definitely, I went on a tour and they talked about how there are less and less tuna Mm -hmm. to be auctioned, um, which, you know, brings you back to reality uh, when you're, you know, viewing something that's sort of touristic and interest, quote unquote, interesting. And then you realize, oh, and it's dwindling. And why is that? And, you know, you get into that, um, that part of it and it's um, dramatic and upsetting and, made me also feel lucky again to work at a place like Billy Noise Project <laughs> the same yeah. time, right? So Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's organizations like this that, you know, educate people and remind people that, you know, any anything, you know, it it'll disappear like that if we don't pay attention to it again. I mean, unfortunately, what's happening in Australia right now and millions of millions of animals yeah. uh, dying due to the fires, obviously it's horrible for people as well, but I mean, as, as you know, having uh, traveled to Australia, it's, you know, you got your cities on the coast, but all that in the middle is yeah. pretty, you know, absolutely that's animal it's territory. Completely and, devastating. I yeah. mean, yeah, animals and people are losing their lives and, yeah, um, yeah to do whatever we can here to yeah. Yeah. Uh, help them. No, but yeah, when it comes to, I mean, New York, I think it's good for people to learn this history and remember that it was at one point called the big oyster and that it was a big part. I mean, New Yorkers, we, you know, I mean, I, I live in Jersey. New York was always my city though. I call it the city. I mean, Mm -hmm. we have, we have pride. We have, and I think people, if they aren't yet, they definitely need to learn this because they will, it will be something that they uh, should be and will be proud of, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, we really are hoping for billion oysters on, or in building a hundred to 200 acres of, 
brief and uh, you know, our vision is to create much more access mm-hmm. to New York Harbor, have more people stewarding it and enjoying it and, you know, treating it like a really important blue space, so, sort of similar how do we ha- to how we treat Central Park. Yeah. Right? Like if we all learned, um, you know, that tons of sewage was being poured on top of the Great Lawn in Central Park every year, oh, yeah, people everyone would, would yeah. go mad. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, you know, we have a sewage flowing into New York Harbor every time it, you know, rains more than a quarter to half an inch in New York City. Yeah. And we're, s- to some degree, still blind to it. Um, you know, it's becoming um, more known, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I think it's yet to reach the same level of importance as, you know, preserving and keeping something like Central Park yeah. clean. Have did you guys see anything? Um, what was their destruction as far as when Sandy hit and storms like that, or you know? Um, we didn't have. Do you mean in terms of the reefs? Yeah, like the reefs. And yeah. Yeah, I'm. Sh- I don't think we actually even had any. So this was before my time, Billion Oyster okay. Project. But yeah, I'm same, pretty sure you know, we didn't like, have. Um, we didn't have the majority of our reefs gotcha. down, if any. I think that we did have our uh, nursery on Governor's Island okay. already active. Um. And, you know, we had some oysters there. So yeah, I'm you know, it's exactly one of those things. Sure. I mean, that was all, that was, what, 2013, so, I think. Yeah. That's one of those things. I'm forgetting what year it is. <laughs> yeah, but, um, but we are, but there was, of course, in it, so maybe not to our reefs, but there was, of course, a lot of destruction. Yeah. And um, one of our, the major projects we've been working on for the last, um, yeah, four, about four and a half years um, is called the Living Breakwaters Project off the coastline of Tottenville, Staten Island, um, where um, with scape architecture and um, other teams, we're working to create multiple mile long structures, mm-hmm. literally living breakwaters oh, wow. okay. that yeah. um, are part of, um, you know, Sandy recovery. And the idea is that um, we're going to be building oyster reefs on these structures and that if another superstorm were to hit, another natural disaster, um, these breakwaters will actually attenuate the wave energy oh. um, so that by the time the superstorm um, waves hit the shore, that they're a lot less destructive than they would have been uh, without them. So, um, yeah. So we are working towards helping create preventative measures through oyster reefs. There is just so much going on here, and this is all incredibly <laughs> fascinating to me. As someone that, again, I just I, I love oysters as far as you know enjoying them to eat, but there's just I I, I think there's just so much. Clearly, there's a you have a whole organization <laughs> working on it, but there's just so much to learn about oysters, and it's hopefully endless. that leads people to just being interested in learning more about you know because in the end the world is covered by what seventy percent water you know yeah, so yeah. Yeah, pretty crazy. Endless, <laughs> endless uh, facts to learn about oysters. They're yeah. a really incredible species, and if you know, you know, I call them like the bees of the sea. <laughs> oh, I knew about bees before I knew about you know the yeah, bees function yeah, yeah. as a keystone species before I knew about oysters as a yeah. keystone species. So that's how I I come into it. Um, Two things to take away: bees of the sea. <laughs> and when you don't put anything on them, they're nude oysters. I think yeah, that's what we're taking. Yeah, that's the, <laughs> the two takeaways today. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they're just an incredibly important um, species to um, protect mm-hmm. and to pay attention to and to restore. 
Um, and I think, you know, I, of course, believe that if we can get more oysters in the water, that we'll have a more uh, vibrant uh blue space in New York City and um, you know if we can get more young people to the water's edge yeah. it will you know preserve what we're doing right because really we're, we're doing our work now but in order to keep it moving we need young people to want to steward it along awesome well it wouldn't be foodie films if we didn't talk a couple of food scenes and uh, before we started recording I asked you about some of your favorite movies we got two great scenes to discuss here since we've been talking japan let's go first with uh tampopo i uh talked a few scenes with uh george motes uh the uh, oh. america's burger expert and uh but i we did we didn't talk this this is the opening scene right of tampopo yep uh so wh- when did you first see this movie what was your yeah you know well it's funny you just said that because the first time i saw it was at george uh motes's um oh at the uh, film food, fest yeah uh, so that's the first time I saw that okay. film. Yeah, it's one of his favorites. It's just one of the best, uh, you know, food, food yeah. films in general. And but. then they, um, George and Seth, Seth Unger, the other um, founder of the Film Fest, mm-hmm. um, they were just in Tokyo because they're actually bringing the food film fe- Foodie Film Fest yeah. um, out to Japan, uh, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so that's where I first saw it. And uh, for those, oh, I guess they know from your from uh, the podcast, yeah. but essentially <laughs> Food Film Fest um, serves you the food in the theater that you're watching on the screen. A true f- like 4D and oh, multiple sensory experience. Yes, right? yeah. yeah. So that's where I first saw it. And then when I was in uh, Tokyo, I actually watched it again. <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool. Because <laughs> uh, why not? Why not? Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. So that was a fun thing we did. Um, and then, of course, as I was eating uh, ramen there, the first the opening scene of the movie is an older gentleman talking to a younger gentleman at a – um, ramen restaurant mm-hmm. about how you should approach your bowl. Yeah, how you, and, how, yeah. how you eat your ramen. Yes, yeah. how you, st- you know, first you stroke the noodles, <laughs> you stroke the top, and then you move your, you know, pork from one side of the bowl to the other side of the bowl. Yeah. And you nodded it in appreciation. And my, <laughs> my husband and I are just sort of trying to recreate that yeah. scene as we ate our way. Uh, through Tokyo it was pretty fun yeah it's a pretty I mean again it's a great film and that's just a great scene and I I mean I I think it I mean I don't know if obviously everyone in Japan obviously treats it that way but just seems as if it's a country that clearly has a lot of respect and just has its traditions but I think it's just I mean it's just a funny scene in general but yeah I mean ramen ramen to me was just I I did actually I I've never had like microwavable ramen like, like cup you know, like, of noodles like cup of noodles you've never ramen. had cup of noodles no. wow i was someone in college i'm just like i don't i'm not gonna have this <laughs> i um, grew up on it yeah yeah <laughs> see I've, that, i love I, it I, yeah i never had it as a kid and then once you know i mean they would i think did they even did our college give it to us Maybe <laughs> they like they had like i remember just like every like do- like dorm room like in the closet someone had a big box of like cup of noodle i have to i probably haven't had it in about i don't know 15 years it was definitely something i ate as a as a kid but uh (laughs) yeah yeah but now but now i mean i I think uh, um i I know i definitely shared it on a recent episode it's uh on newark ave in jersey city you walk down it you got like three ramen places right on it it's just 
it's expanded. It's huge. It's yeah. just like, you know, the, yeah. trend, the trendy thing right now. Yeah, I have but some awesome places where I am. Yeah. Uh, Suzume makes a great, yeah, I live in Williamsburg, so Suzume okay. is great. Uh, UG Ramen um, is great. Um, and uh, it's actually pretty cool. So UG Ramen, also, um, that's the restaurant at night, but in the same location, it's Okonomi. Mm-hmm. during the day and then they have a place in Kyoto called Lorimer and they're on Lorimer Street in Brooklyn. Ah, okay. So it's pretty That's fun. Pretty fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and I, I I love this. We've we have talked a lot of Disney movies on 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 here before cuz there's a lot of Disney food scenes, but this was one I actually hadn't th- thought of before and I I I love it because it just shows again, uh, you know, because clearly, I mean, oysters are food, but that's not what we were predominantly talking about today. We're talking about how they help us as far as you know, nature and cleaning the water. Their, you know, their their natural purposes, um, and that's almost food just has a magical way of that, and, and just even animals too, and so. Th- Mary Poppins. Yes. <laughs> you said that. And I'm just like, hey, what's, what's a food scene of Mary Poppins? Also, I went spoonful of sugar. You know, helps mm-hmm. the medicine. I'm like, there you go. That's a, that is a food scene right there. And that I think that is. Well, I mean, everyone knows a song. You see, in every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. You find the fun, and snap, the job's a game. And every task you undertake becomes a piece of cake, a lark, a spree. It's very clear to see that a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, the medicine go down, medicine go down. Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down in a most delightful A robin feathering his nest has very little time to rest While gathering his bits of twine and twig Though quite intent in his pursuit he has a merry tune to toot He knows a song will move the job It's a classic song, but it's a great example of just like a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Yeah. Like that's. <laughs> yeah, I never thought about it in that way. Right? Um, yeah. And not that I like to think of education as medicine, but <laughs> I was, you know, the way that I always think about it is like, I think that food and, you know, what first got me into it was that I think that sitting around a table and eating mm-hmm. um, is like the perfect opportunity to discuss important topics and to you know educate people and learn from each other um so you know i do think that and we've tried i've personally tried to do this billion oyster project to some degree through events is like creating that space where you know the sugar is like the events the fun dining experience but then you're really going away with like a ton of new information and having a hopefully deeper experience yeah i think Um, yeah i think it's a pretty good would metaphor be the right or an analogy you know just of 
taking something and literally, in this case, they're sugarcoating it. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, you draw people in. Like, I mean, like you said before, with, you know, an oyster festival, people can can come and enjoy the oysters as far as, you know, consuming them. But then you guys are here and and you're going to, you know, share and hopefully educate them in just their, their, their purpose. Yeah, make them a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Last but not least... Our lovely round, uh, speed round, gut instincts. So just whatever comes to your mind first with these questions. All right. Favorite fast food? Oh, uh, toast. Toast? <laughs> I know that's not fair. Okay, Burger King onion rings. <laughs> ah, okay, yeah. I had to yeah. choose a fast food that I... That's good. Yeah. Go to alcoholic beverage. Ooh, uh, whiskey on the rocks. Oh, any particular brand? Um, no, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna have to start drinking Soli Talisker. They're actually uh, supporting our shell collection oh, program, okay. uh, so I'm gonna have to. There we go. Become a Talisker only, you know, Scotch <laughs> drinker. But <laughs> favorite childhood snack? Ooh, goldfish. Gotta have fishes because they're so delicious. Yeah, yeah, right in full circle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There we go. <laughs> Got to get them involved somehow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is that, Toll House, I think, maybe? I don't know. Uh, anyway, sweet or savory? Savory. Favorite food city, uh, domestic and international? Sydney, I have to say. Oh, uh, Sid- Sydney over uh, Tokyo still? Yeah, okay. actually. Wow. I mean, I, I've had more experience to, sure. uh, you know, check out all the spots, mm-hmm. but yeah, probably still. Sydney, um, and then domestic. Sands, New York, because that's just you know Los kind Angeles. of a Los Angeles. Los Angeles, yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. That's yeah. a yeah. Any particular? I mean, obviously, between their Mexican food, their uh, Korean food, oh, all of it. Just I mean, even it, just right? like the front, you know, just like the qual. Again, I think like the quality of uh, produce. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah, it's that exceptional. It's the all-round, you know, all-year-round kind of... I mean, hey, that's why the film industry moved out there, because you get that all-year-round sunshine. Yeah. 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 Favorite cuisine? Italian. Guilty pleasure food? Pasta. Pasta, yeah. (laughs) Again, yeah. (laughs) First instinct, right? Yeah, exactly. Pasta. Favorite condiment? Ketchup. What's the last thing you ate? Um... A apple with uh, like a nut butter yeah. thing that I just discovered that I like. It's like oh. a seed. It's like a ten seed butter that I, yeah. It sounds good. good. Yeah, I forget what it's called. I gotta get better at. Uh, I think I'm gonna try intermittent fasting. Oof. Yeah. I know. Exactly. I'm a hangry person. That wouldn't work for me. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bigger guy. I definitely, I feel like it'll help me uh, shed a few pounds. I mean, just naturally, got to exercise more. But I think I'm someone that just, in all realms of life, I need structure. And so I think keeping it to like, you know, eating in like an eight-hour period. But also, yeah. I'm not, I'm not someone like that. Sounds like something I could eat in the morning because I just. I kind of have like a quick routine in the morning and I'm out the door, but something like that, I feel like, you know, there's yeah. not a lot of prep that goes into no. it. That's important. Five minutes. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Send you, I'll send you the, oh, okay. the yeah. seed P- butter. <laughs> Please. Um, what would be your last meal? Mm. <laughs> a stuffed artichoke. I know that sounds really weird. But <laughs> that's good. I like it. 
comfort food again. Do you prefer to dine in or dine out? Dine in. Yeah. You you still you cook a lot? Yeah. It's very close for me. Yeah. Dine no, in, dine it's out. Tough. But um I just like eating it you know, home and yeah. with people and it's a little bit more casual and Sure, yeah. Um yeah have as many portions as you want. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, lo- uh, I love hosting yeah. too. And then I always give my, my cop-out answer would, would be that I, I love going out to eat. But one of my favorite things about going out to eat is trying a new dish and then trying to replicate it at home. Yes. That's, I, you know, see, I just tried yeah. to do that with uh, a salad I had in Japan and oh, okay. didn't get it exactly right. <laughs> But it was just my first, my first attempt. Yeah. Um, Do you have yeah. a favorite dish that you like to cook? I like to make lasagna. Lasagna. Yeah. Pasta. There like we go. A long bolognese. Yeah. yeah. I know. I yeah. Pasta. I don't yeah. Know. A pasta is delicious. That's one of my. That's. <laughs> I gotta eat less of it. <laughs> yeah. Me, yeah. Me too. Probably. Um, what would be your spirit food? Um. I usually, people ask me that, I say artichoke, not too Arch- repetitive, yeah. but um, I just love them, and they are very versatile. Ah, so like there we go. I think that um, I can be versatile. I think so. So, yeah. Sounds like, I mean, just as far, your your career alone is very impressive, and just obviously move, just from working in Australia, and or even originally in the city, then Australia, then here, and it seems like you have a lot of, yeah. a lot of interests. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's um I do. And yeah, artichokes. I mean like raw. Yeah. Stuffed, marinated. <laughs> we'll go into a whole like uh <laughs> bubba from far, yeah, far, I know. forest cover. <laughs> coconut yeah. shrimp. Yeah, exactly. Pineapple shrimp, girl shrimp. Now that you think about it you're like, Oh, really? Exactly. Never realized. <laughs> I don't know if we've covered. That's a great food scene that I got to talk with somebody about. Uh going to the movies. Are we having any kind of classic movie snack? Oh. Um yeah, raisinets and popcorn. I love raisinets. That was, yeah. <laughs> I did a Halloween episode last, like Halloween of 2018, where it was just it was just me talking about uh, the. You remember the Garfield Halloween special? Mm-hmm. No, that's okay. That was like one of my favorites growing <laughs> up, and like uh, I was talking about my favorite candy, and of course when I posted it, then my mom commented. She was like, "Raisin nuts were your favorite." I'm like, "Oh yeah, raisin." Like you know, yeah. like I was saying, I think probably like Kit Kat, which I do love, but raisin nuts, those are. Yeah. I think chocolate covered anything. Like I love chocolate covered espresso beans now. Mm, That's, yeah, those are good. I'm definitely pretzels. much more, yeah pretzels. Yeah, that was always growing up. We would go down the shore. And there was this place in Cape May that I would always get. I would get milk chocolate covered pretzels, but now I'm much more dark chocolate kind mm. of guy. Yeah. Cape May salts. It's good oyster farm. Oh. Yeah. I'll have to go down there. And uh, last but not least, what's a great lesson you've learned in food? Mm. A great lesson I've learned in food. Obviously, it can be from So there's your, like a. Yeah. Right. So, like, there's like. You know, the ba- <laughs> first one that popped into my head was like, don't over-knead a dough. <laughs> don't over-knead a dough. Okay, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> or like, for pastry. Um, but no, in in, uh, in seriousness, um, I think it's just the power of food to connect people. Yes. Yes. You know, it, it has this incredible, um, yeah, connecting ability that brings people together mm-hmm. and can make people see eye to eye or if not eye to eye actually respect the other person more yeah. and understand differences 
Um, I think, you know, I mean, not to label anybody, but I think foodies out there or just people that are willing to, you don't have to like everything, but at least try it. Yeah. And when you try something, I mean, you know, either you're going to like it or you're not going to like it. But also at the same time, you might try something and be like, oh, that, you know, reminds me of this dish. And I think just via food, you have an aha moment Mm -hmm. of... Oh, that's like that. That's like that. And it just reminds you that we're all connected. And in the same way, I mean, to tie it all together, just seeing how oysters are such an important part of the ecosystem and how it's all tied together. And um, I went to an event um, about a little less than a year ago with uh, Phil Rosenthal of Somebody Feed Phil. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of, there was a Q&A afterwards. They showed the uh, Tel Aviv episode. Um and he said something great as far as, uh, I mean, someone must have asked him something about maybe Mexico or something like that. And he said, you know, like, how about instead of building walls, we build tables? And I, th- I yes, think that's just... I totally believe that's that. That's just a great, you know, not that everything will be, but just things will be solved more by just sitting across from someone at a table and enjoying a good meal. I mean, there's a, there's yeah. a, there's a, there's a reason that there's a saying, break bread, you know? Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, Absolutely. And, yeah, I think you can just appreciate where people are coming from. Like, I mean, yeah, not to be off topic, but when I was in, one thing that struck me about eating in um, Japan is I never, um, you know, I actually never realized how big uh, texture was a component into, you know, their eating pleasures. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it, it just made me think, oh, like, that's so interesting. Like, why, you know, we're so much about just, like, flavor blast but you know they're actually not necessarily even consuming this for the flavor but rather the experience of how it feels in their mouth and like how interesting interesting. is that and why is that and um you know and I guess that then made me think back to my other experiences just like looking at some of the beauty in Japan and being able to like reflect on what something looks like and maybe they take more care and more structure and things and I don't know I think it's all relative it's all related. related. Yeah, yeah, it's all related. Yeah. It's all interesting and and special. Yeah. Well, Maddie, thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. Uh, right now, please tell everyone where they can find if you like Billion Oyster on social media, any anything like that. Any. You know. Sure. So you can learn more about us on billionoysterproject.org, um, and then on social media. Um, it's at Billion Oyster on Twitter and Instagram, and then at Billion Oyster Project on Facebook. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you again. We have a little catchphrase to end every episode. It's there's more to cut. There's just a lot out there in life to to get to learn. So if you wouldn't re- uh, mind reminding uh, the foodies out there that there's more to cut. There's more to cut. Perfect. Thank you. Yummy, yummy, yummy. I got love in my tummy, and I feel like I'm loving. Love you such a sweet thing, good enough to